Well, hi, and, uh, and welcome. Um, it's exciting for me to be here. Uh, I wanted to have a, a talk about something that um, is really relevant for me, and it's something that we're working through in our businesses at the moment, and it's something that sort of constantly challenges me in, in my professional career. Um, and uh, I think what, what this does is we can apply it through all the different business models that we have, like with cafes or roasteries or green businesses. And it's, I want to talk about meeting customer expectations and other dumb ideas. So this is a, a great guy called Will Young. Uh, he uh, owns Campos Coffee, which is uh, based in Australia. We just done a buying trip through Indonesia, and uh, we had a bit of an afternoon off. And he's most certainly having his customer expectations met. <laughs> but what I really want to start talking about is not sort of should we have customer expectations, but rather should uh, customers' expectations be the same as ours? And how obliged should we be to meet those expectations? Or should we just set our own expectations and see what happens as a result of that? And I think there's one part of this that's really important, is that we have to own the responsibility for expectations that we have in our stores or in our businesses. So we control those. And those customer expectations are set either by a reputation that we create, by advertising or by marketing. But I think it's really important to know that any customer expectations are something that we have to be responsible for. So expectations are, are really into three categories for me, and I sort of thought about this for a long time. I can break it down into subcategories, and but these three for me are the main, main points. That's service, price, and quality. Now for us, obviously, quality is a really big uh, deal, and it's a really important part of the business and the way that the expectations are set and met. Um, and I think everything kind of links back into quality. And it's a combination of all these three that make that customer experience and the, and the expectations. And I, we need to be focused on how we meet those expectations in the businesses and whether we should or should not in the process of producing the best quality coffee. So I, I ask myself the question, are meeting customer expectations conducive to innovation and quality? And, and are they good for the improvement of quality in coffee? I don't know if they're necessarily cooperative goals. So what our customers deserve and, and what we deliver to them means that they're always going to struggle, we're always going to struggle to meet that customer expectation. And I feel that uh, in my businesses, we're constantly falling short of delivering that customer expectation. Because for me, a customer expectation is met when something's at 100%. And we're always sort of striving for more and more, and I don't think I've ever delivered the absolute perfect experience and the perfect customer expectation. And I think if we uh, manage to deliver on service, then we're intrinsically falling short in innovation. And so the quality suffers in the long run. When we try and think about what our customers want, it gets very confusing. And so we think we know what they want, but they know what they want, and they want us to want what they want, and even they want us to want the same thing, except that they want sometimes that we want them to want something different, which is really what we want. And I just keep going around in this horrible circle of never really understanding what I'm trying to deliver to my customers and whether I should just try and meet their expectations or just do what I want and hope that my expectations are met by theirs. So fundamentally, I want to discuss something which is meeting customer expectations stifles innovation. Now I've worked and owned in different cafes, so like uh, franchise cafes and malls and uh, independent cafes, espresso bars, large uh, cafes with uh, 
big kitchens and one of the things that we constantly do in our business is assess how we're performing against our customer expectations and you know we ask our customers either informally or formally uh, how we're delivering on it and then we take that information and we d we try and work on ways to meet that customer expectation you know we ask questions like you know did you enjoy the level of service or did you have a good experience and they say yes so we go score and then what we do is we build like entire training programs and platforms around that either to maintain it or to work towards a goal that we want and those training programs normally incorporate lots of coffee quality points they in include the fundamentals of customer service and we invest heavily in them both in time and effort and also in money so when we develop these incredible training platforms that we're so heavily invested in if someone comes along or I go to a barista competition see Colin do something crazy and I'm like I just I want to change everything we do I'm less inclined to want to do that and roll that out through my whole business because I've got this huge training platform already developed and so I think it could be a really sort of vicious circle where we, we want to create better expectations and a better service and better quality product. But because we develop training programs, it restricts our ability or our want to further develop that. And that's whether we meet those polled goals or not. So it becomes about delivering what the customer says they want and that's the life of our expectation. So uh, another thing that uh, I've spent another thing that I spent a lot of time doing is making assumptions. Now I think that um, we've needed people to believe in some things, and uh, to do that, I need to be able to make some assumptions as a business owner and as a barista. And sometimes they've been right, but more than often my assumptions are wrong. I just like to think they're right for a long period of time. And so in an environment where we're, we're looking to increase quality through innovation, we need to make some assumptions like, my customers enjoy an increase in quality. My customers want an increase in quality. And my customers will recognize an increase in quality. And I think that they can be pretty crass assumptions sometimes. And this has normally meant that I delivered an experience to my customers and at best they sort of find it confusing or challenging. And it means that an outstanding experience for some, like some people want all that detail and they want something that I maybe have thought that they want or have assumed that they want. But for the average consumer and for the people that we deal with in the largest majority and the people that we have to change the habits of so that we can increase quality as an industry, we, we fail abysmally. And so I've come to ex accept that uh, delivering an experience that has innovation will alienate some customers and mainly those are customers who are averse to change. That's fine. I've, come to, I've uh, sort of made my peace with that. And they may or, or may not come around, but you can use your basics, you know, really great customer skills to start working on them. And we create this barb of quality after a while. And so for me, quality is something that our customers don't always recognize immediately. So we do something that increases the, the quality of our, of our experience and our customers will just sort of accept it nicely. But where it comes in to be a barb is when we go to remove it. So you increase quality, increase quality, everyone goes, oh, that's good coffee, great coffee, love that. If you then reduce the quality of your coffee, that's when everyone's like, oh, what happened to the coffee today? This is terrible. But just when you increase quality, they don't come in and go, wow, this is amazing today. You know? So um, I sort of come to realize that they're right. And, uh, <laughs> 
after a lot of time of making all these assumptions about what customers wanted, the thing that I really needed to do is just listen to them, and not just listen, but really hear what they're saying and, and what they're communicating to us. So I just want to give you an example of sort of how that's happened for me in, uh, in Crafted Coffee in our cafe and wholesale business. And I need to bore you with a little bit of backstory on that. And I've got a way that we're trying to approach this program and try and increase the expectations. So uh, Crafted Coffee Company is a business I have in Christchurch. We've got a couple of cafes um, in New Zealand. Uh, and the fact that we're in New Zealand is something that's important for me. So New Zealand has a really high propensity for travel, for overseas travel. Uh, when we take a trip, it's an average of 19.1 days. And New Zealand has the highest amount of overseas travel for an island nation in the world. So 46 trips per 100 people per year. To put some perspective around that, um, Australia has 28 people per 100 people, South Korea 25, and the US 14. So I'm, I know US is not an island, but this is a comparison point. And, and what we do is we travel to sort of lots of really interesting places. We don't just go to Australia for a holiday. We travel around and we see lots of different things. We go to Italy and we sort of absorb and learn the Italian coffee culture. And then we go to France and we see the baking culture and the amazing uh, products coming out of here. Then we go to Amsterdam and we take... Wait, anyway. But what, what happens at that point is we then come home with our overseas experience. And what we are able to present is not that actual experience. We, don't, we can't copy it. It's a very difficult thing to do. But we have our interpretation of what that experience is. And what that means is like we bring back you know, some our interpretation of what I saw of Italian coffee and what I saw of French bakery. And this, I think the Australasian cafe culture is this kind of amalgamation of all of these different concepts and the way that they've come together. And I think that's one of the reasons that we've sort of been able to take it out to the world. You know, it's become a bit of a crusade for Antipodeans. You know, and, and our weapon is we have this cafe culture in which most people can find something that they can identify with. So most people can relate to one part, at least, of the experience, which can make it pretty attractive. But what it brought with us is some old ways of ordering coffee. So like in New Zealand, we used to order, you know, you order a cappuccino, you order a flat white, and you order a latte. And they got lots of fancy names on them. And then to try and deal with that, and to try and sort of put a better, a better spin on it and make it more approachable for our customers, because a cappuccino, 14 years ago, no one knew what it was. They just, they'd come to me and they'd say, uh, white coffee, two sugars, black coffee, one sugar. I go, no, 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 no. What you need is a latte. Go, What's a latte? No, you need that. And we sort of, and they're like, oh, well, I'll have a latte. And it just sort of keeps on going in this really weird circle where we, we're giving them something that we want them to have, but really all it is is a name or a recipe that is not followed or not maintained and, in, in any place around, around either individual cafes or around the world. And so we invented drinks like flat white to try and deal with it. So flat white, it's just not as hard to say as cappuccino. And you know, for a New Zealander or an Antipodean, like, it's just a white coffee. It's no different to a latte, really. It's, it's just a flat white and nobody's offended by it. So it's really caught on for us. So, my previous attempts at meeting customer expectations have just about all been failures. Because we've invented these drinks, but we've never defined what those standards are. We've never gained any really good industry understanding or acceptance of what those levels are, whether it's a quality level or a recipe. 
and it makes it impossible to deliver a good customer expectation. And as an industry and as, a, as individuals, we constantly fail to deliver consistency. So if you come to my cafe and order a latte from me, and then you go to, say, Luciano's cafe and order a latte from him, and then you go to another cafe and order a latte, the only thing that is the same is the name. Like how many shots I put in, how I extract my coffee, how much milk's in there, how much foam is in there, I serve it in a glass or a cup. But still our customers will go to me and order a latte, go to Luciano, order a latte. They don't sort of, they're not looking to accurately assess it. We've just set this expectation that what they want is a latte. So um, we've set these recipes, we have an expectation of consistency with the industry. And that expectation of consistency, which is one of the things our training platforms that stagnate us, drive us towards, is consistency. But that is not the same thing as quality. So I think we need to just listen to what our customers are actually saying. So when they say, can I please have a white coffee? What I used to hear is cappuccino and then it's something that they couldn't actually tell me what it is. Like my customers couldn't say to me, a oh, cappuccino is you know, a 30 mil shot from a double or what, like they just have no idea. They couldn't actually explain to me how it's built. They might have seen a guide where it's like third, 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 but they don't really know what they want. It's a product that's made to a recipe and not to a flavor profile or to a mark of quality. And so it's a product whose value is perceived rather than actually enjoyed. So what they're actually saying for me when they order a, a coffee is that they want something tasty, they want it to taste like coffee, that you know, if it's a milk drink, that it isn't harsh, that they have, it has good flavor, and that it's at a good price in its simplest form. So I think that our focus needs to be on quality and not names. The delivery of what we need is white and black, really. It, it makes it easy to order. It should be easy to understand and it should be easy, we should make it as easy as possible for quality to come through. And we should create the expectation of quality. And what that is changes. You know, there are lots of different good wines, we just drink them, and we need to put that on. We don't want a customer to think a cappuccino is better than a latte, is better than a flat white, is better than an Americano. And if we, if we make our message quality-based and we deliver it clearly, then we can deliver expectations that are more likely to look like success. And when we think about ways that we've actually done that and we've achieved that in our community, if we look at barista competitions, the comp uh, competitors who do well and really succeed in the competitions do incredibly complicated quality-focused drinks and routines, but they deliver them simply and clearly and concisely. You don't sort of walk away from a really great barista competition and go, oh my God, watch it, like what just happened, I don't understand. You walk away going, I, I get it, it was easy. And it's been delivered clearly, even though there's a lot of a lot of work in there and a lot of uh, sort of small details, the way it's been delivered is clearly, it's simply complicated. And so that comes back to that point I mentioned before, which is really important for me, and I think it's, um, I think it's important that we recognize that true quality is a barb, that we can keep pushing it deeper and deeper, but it creates pain when we try and remove it. So we wanted to deal with this at, at Crafted, and I, I kind of feel like I've just been lying for 14 years to my customers in the hope that I can create some expectations that they'll meet and they'll go, I love it. So what we've done is we've tried to strip everything away. And this is our new uh, coffee menu that we've uh, just introduced at Crafted. 
So what we've done on the left-hand side, um, we have white coffee. And for me, that's what a white coffee is, a cappuccino, a latte, a flat white, call it whatever you want, it's just a white coffee. These are all uh, espresso-based drinks. Um, and then we've got some freebies in there, because it's important for me to recognise we're not trying to take anything away from our customers. I don't want to go down that path again of creating customer expectations that I can't meet. I don't want to say to them, you have to order this, and that's what it's called. So if a customer says, I'll have a, a latte, great, you want a large one or a small one? Say so a small one, great. So it's a white, small white coffee. And our job is to make the best small white coffee that we can. A customer says to me, I'll have a small flat white, no problems. It's a small white coffee. And I do my best to make the best white coffee that I can. There is no difference between these. When you, if you were to poll, you know, like 100 cafes, you just end up with this net result, which is white coffee. If someone says, I'll have a cappuccino, in New Zealand we have a you know, chocolate on top, but it's just a white coffee with a dusting of chocolate. So that's really important for me that we can sort of recognize that and acknowledge that. The second part of the equation is the right-hand side of the menu is black. Now, I, I can't stand Americanos anymore, or Lom Blacks, or whatever we want to call them. They just seem like poorly brewed coffee. Sometimes they're interesting, sometimes they're tasty, but the way that I know I can deliver good coffee that's always tasty, that's brewed to great parameters, and that's consistent, is through a batch brewer. And for New Zealand, this is kind of a big deal. Like, we do have some batch brewing in New Zealand and people make filter coffee and it's becoming more and more accepted but our history says that anything brewed is bad but uh, because we've always put bad coffee into these brewers but now we've got great brewers great coffee going into it well the, the interesting thing with this is we've only just rolled it out it came out on Wednesday so I don't know if I'm going home or not <laughs> but uh, I've been speaking to my staff and they've been super excited about it. Um, our customers have been really enjoying and understanding what's going on. Um, I was concerned that our customers would just have no idea, that they just would not understand what we're talking about and that I was just going back to 14 years ago and trying to force something down their throat. But the reception's been great. and We've had some of our busiest days in a long time and you know, I think it's because of this menu and it's because they're understanding what they're getting. And our focus is to make the best possible coffee that we can. So to do that, I think we just need to remove all extraneous information. Focus our message. We don't need to deliver a whole lot of other initiatives because when we struggle to deliver the basics, when we struggle to deliver consistent quality as an industry and, and to our customers, we need to get to that point. So our customers always will recognize better coffee when it's laid out for them simpler. If the assumption or the product is something that requires explanation, sort of beyond selection and consumption to be able to enjoy it, then I think we're missing the point. It can always have more and more layers, but at its simplest form, I believe it needs to be um, explained, it needs to be able to be selected and consumed and enjoyed. And my final point is that customer expectations do not need to be made through force or gross assumption. We can, just, we can create our customer expectations through quality, through a focus on quality and delivering what they're asked for. And it'll never work if we force it. We've tried to beat it down their throats before. So just deliver to the customer what they actually want. Listen to what they're actually saying, not just the words, but what they're saying. What they ask for, not 
what we've interpreted and, and then adapted. Be honest about what they need and deliver it to our customers. Thank you. Well done. Thank you very much. That was great. Please have a seat. It's, uh, you've stood for all of 20 minutes. I think you should sit down. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was listening to myself there. I can, I can so like, empathise with all the problems that you're talking through. and I, That thing of like... Um, it's always a battle between like you're trying to improve a coffee offering uh, and people have a perception of how it should be done and you're trying to change that and you're like, is this the right way to do it? Um, somebody once said to me, do you ever consider that your vision might be wrong? Right. And I don't think I ever had until that point. I was like, because you presume when you're running a business that if you can get it right, it will work. But imagine that your vision is wrong, you know? Right. So I think that doubt was always creeped into what, what we've done. When you, when you stopped, uh, when you opened up Crafted Coffee, you had a history in coffee shops before, what were you most looking forward to, to stopping and doing differently? It was my opportunity to kind of play, you know, like um, the expectations of the business for me were that I just, I wanted to be able to experiment and to like, I can do this now and it's just the thing that I can do and I don't have to ask anyone or think about it or consider anything. And uh, it's some, you know, like doing something like this in a market that is, um, has some good, great coffee, but is relatively conservative like New Zealand, you know, there's a degree of risk to it. So. You know, we're sort of sitting there and I think 70% of people have sort of said to me like, this is a really bad idea and nobody's going to understand it. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, that's the one I got to do, you know. <laughs> but equally, like people have been really enthusiastic about it and the staff have been like really on board with it. I think uh, as well as that, we, put, we, we share the unique skill of being able to change the menu and then leave. So yeah, right. we've done the same thing as <laughs> yeah. well. So we, we did something on bar, like a workflow issue that changed everything. Um, how important is it to have your staff believing in, a, in the idea? Well, it's kind of lost without that. And I mean, if, um, if I'm trying to deliver something to our customers and our consumers and, and our, our staff aren't on board with it, then it's just never going to work, you know? It's, it's a, like forcing it on them at that point. And so they don't just have to be on board, they really have to understand the vision piece that goes with it. And, and they have to be excited about it. And it's interesting because some of my staff are um, you know, they, they are the consumer that 14 years ago we rammed this idea down their throat. We're like, this is what you want, you know? And so they kind of, they've grown up with that culture. And, but they were the people who 14 years ago were going, can I have uh, a white coffee? Like, no. And so it's funny because when we first started talking about the idea, they were the ones who were most fearful about going back to what it was themselves actually asking for 14 years ago. They have to deal with the people every day in doing it. I think it's, it's vitally important, I think, to have staff on board. And, and it's not just that they're going to do it, but that they believe in it. Yeah. That that's, that's the right thing to do. Um, the, uh, so this is quite... Um, is, this, is there anything like this in where you are? Not, not that I know of, no. I mean, you know, like there are people doing some really interesting menus. They've like sort of simplified parts of it. But dropping all reference to any of the previous names or recipes that we've had, you know, that's sort of what's interesting for me. And lots of people are offering filter coffee, but their main menu is like long blacks, 
you know, in New Zealand we've got a really strong espresso culture and a really weak filter culture. So like the natural position for someone who drinks a black coffee in a cafe would be a long black or Americano, whatever that really is. So to sort of remove that and make the focus of the menu actually on, on that brewer and to have you know, a great big batch brewer up on the front counter is kind of confronting for some of the, you know, for some of the like customers. I've always believed that like every shop has their own menu. You have like your lattes, cappuccinos, fat whites, all that kind of stuff. And, but like, I remember going to Caffeine in London, which would be a shop like, my, I know Peter, we'd talk in online and stuff, he runs Caffeine, and we'd have like a, a mutual appreciation of what we're doing, you know? But I went to his shop and ordered the cappuccino and I got exactly what I would have given somebody if they'd ordered a flat white in my shop. And we were operating this tiny little chink of the industry. And if we can't agree, right. like, so it's almost as if that we write our own menus, but our customers come in with their own menus too, because they have a preconceived idea of what, what to expect as well. And so, do, do you sorry. think that these whole, like, I've, there's lots of the menus has been a really big thing, I think, for the last kind of 12, 18 months. And, and then kind of Gwilym kicked off a little bit with, like, we're changing his menu and everyone went, yeah, no, that's good. And do you, do you think that this is, this is the direction we should be going in, like, long term? Or is this, a, like, I mean, you, you must do because you've put it up there. But do you think we'll ever kind of go back to start making it more complicated again because these things come in waves? Or? Well, I, I think it, it may get that way. But I don't really want it to, because what, uh, you know, it's that piece about if we build a platform and we're invested in that platform, then we're less likely to change when something better comes along. You know, like if, if we say this is how we're going to operate and we build our training and our education and all these pieces around it, then, we, then we're less likely to change. And we can't have innovation without change, it's like it's the same thing. You know, and we, and we can't have improvement without innovation. So. For me, I think, yeah, of course. And it has its place, you know. It has its place. But when, when, when you implemented the menu change at 3FE, what was the customer's reactions to it? What were um, it was interesting because, well, just for, the, for those that haven't seen it, we, we sell, uh, we've got three coffees lift, listed on the board and there's a price for each coffee and you decided, like you could say, I want it with, with milk or as a filter or as espresso and that's the price of that coffee. So. Uh, it makes espresso probably comparatively expensive, and um, I suppose filter coffee would, would say the same. But the result that we saw was that um, the first thing that the staff said to me is like, "Well, how can we charge that much money for espresso?" And I went, "Exactly. Like, how how good can we make it so it's worth that?" Um, in terms of the customers, they were uh, it, it had the result that people bought uh, more variants. Like there was the, originally people were buying just uh, whatever the the cheapest coffee was, but once they, they could see the menu, they all started buying different options. A lot of customers are like, oh, I didn't know that you had different coffees. Or uh, they'd be coming for six months, or we changed them the week after, because we change every week. And they'd say, you change your coffees. And I'm like, did you not know this before? And I'm like, no. And it's amazing how many things that we, like, we thought were inherently obvious about what we were doing. And they had no idea, absolutely no idea. So it engaged people, they were buying different coffees. And I think it also made them recognize that Yes, we were a little bit more expensive than other places, but they could now see why. They understood that, well, they're changing them. And then we'd say, well, these are in season. And they go, oh, and the other place don't do that. And okay, right. And all those pennies started to drop. I think it's really important to make that different, that price differentiation to, for the customer to kind of go, okay, I know why this is a bit more expensive now. I understand that. And where do your price, you got your prices there of a small for 430 and uh, large for 480. Where, where does that sit in the market? Are, we, are you... 
Are you cheap? Are you expensive? Are you sitting in the middle? I'm, I'm on the high side, but um, but not crazy. You know, I mean, you'd expect a, a small to be somewhere between 380 and, you know, sort of 450. But it, it just depends. And this is the problem is like, so what's a small? So like, you know, my small is a 150 mil cup, but someone else's small is like 300 mils. So it's, you know, doesn't really matter. I, I was interested to see that you had the, that triad of price, quality, and service. Is that right? Um, and I think uh, what I see in a lot of specialty coffee shops, and, and we see this ourselves, is that like we say, oh, we love the quality, we can do this. And then we have to bring the service with it, you know? And a lot of places are, are like, well, filter coffee is this expensive. And if we make filter coffee, then we're allowed to charge this price. Well, I was like, well, what's the service like? What's, you know, is the quality in the cup? Uh, is you know is the place clean you know do you have a clean bathroom or your chair is good all that kind of stuff and it's the whole package it's not just we do filter coffee we can charge a high pr price and it doesn't matter what it tastes like so how, how hard is it to get all three right well i i think if you ever get all three right then you're you're lying <laughs> you know like you ne there's never perfect service you know there's never perfect price it's always something that we should be shooting for and you know th that's why i think it's bad to set an expectation of perfect you know that that triad never really meets because one should be pushing the other you know if your quality is like brilliant then it should be pushing your price higher and so that means you've got your price wrong you know and if your if your price is too low you can't deliver quality as you should and so it's there's never that perfect triangle it's always something there are three factors but they never quite fit together perfectly we've been talking a lot all week about the relationship between quality and quantity. And we have uh, probably two speakers today who are particularly pointed in that area. Like, when I, I haven't been to New Zealand now, but when I, when I went to Melbourne uh, last month, like, I, did, I never envisaged that much quality in those sort of volumes. Like, and to me, that was, a, that was a whole new world. Like, how do you feel about the whole thing? Do you think that you can make excellent coffee, given the right circumstances, in large volumes? Yeah. It's pretty Good simple. Good I mean, answer. Like, <laughs> you know, you, you well, can. Do you, do you, do you, and like, that's why, you know, why we're looking at things and I mean, you like batch brewing. It's like, we can't make one single good long black, no matter how long I stand at the machine, no matter what coffee I select, it's never amazing. But so I, can, I can throw some coffee in a brewer yeah. and, and brew it and drop out six liters of like really tasty coffee. Yeah. And it works. Yeah. So where, where does this come from? Like, do you have this in New Zealand? Because I think definitely in our part of the world, it's like, oh, they were really good. Then they got busy and now they're bad. And it's, it's like, they're actually better than they were before. Like, do you have that in New Zealand or is it just a cranky European thing? Yeah, of course. No, it's like, it's a constant failing. And, you know, there's a part of like, how do you manage that? You know, and that's why the triangle never really meets. But, you know, and you have to sort of think of ways that we can do it. So, you know, when, as you get busy, you need to look at different techniques that you can use and, you know, those tools have to be out there, but we have to, our businesses and, and mindset has to be right that we can accept that change and innovation so that we, we haven't built ourselves into a corner. And to do that, I think we just really need to break the message down to its simplest point and then just sort of start building up. So is coffee crafted better today than it was when we started? Yeah, it is. And I think it's more consistent yeah. as well. I mean, That's we had well, I feel the same. Like, you know, we like started, it was like literally me and a machine and a couple of seats and I look back at that and it's like, oh, it wasn't very good. 
So I think uh, it's interesting. Uh, to no, I, I actually, I, I, I'm going to disagree there because I think that there, were, there were times in the old shop that you did better coffee then because you were so focused because you've got one customer coming all day. <laughs> but like, you know, the first day when you had like 17 people come, you'd be really focused, but you, you, weren't, you weren't consistent. Whereas now the shop is consistently good. You know, the experience that sometimes 3FE would be in the early days would be really good or not so good. Yeah, and it's like, it's... I don't know, it's, it's, like, it's sometimes really, really rewarding like that people just come all the time and it's always good rather than someone kind of calling you up and go, I went there, I had one cup of coffee, it was amazing. You're kind of like, that can be done. Like, that can be done anywhere. But when people go, look, I always go, it's never bad. That to me is just, that's, that's more exciting. Yeah. I think it's important to sort of recognize that one of the things when we talk about quality, it, like it's not quality to one person. You know, like when you make a good drink, it doesn't change the world if you serve one person good coffee. Like I used to work in a, at a muffin break franchise. It's like a big chain and it's just like, it's a chain, you know. But we served a lot of customers and they had a focus on improving the quality of the product that was coming out. And for me, it was exciting because, you know, I had access to hundreds of baristas that we could help sort of train or engage and have their focus on quality. And so if, if, I, can have, if I could have had an impact on say a hundred baristas who are serving tens of thousands of cups of coffee a day and it increased the quality of the cup that they're preparing by five percent then that's doing a whole lot more than me having some sort of tiny little shop that serves you know like 800 cups a day made by rockstar baristas you know like what's actually making a difference in the market you know, so it is quality it's just on a different scale and it but it increases in the same way. So go, going back to the menu thing, on the your smalls 4.30, you said like 3.70 to 4.50. Is a 4.50 place better than crafted for coffee? No, it's just like I think, you know, we've got good coffee and there yeah. are lots of other places with good coffee, but someone might have higher rent or, you know, like yeah. it's the, the price of coffee in a cup you know, part of that how, is how the coffee. Did, how did you get to that point of, I'm always really interested in where we, how we get to the point of pricing coffees. I'm really bad at this, by the way, so I'm not, I, you know, I'm really, really bad at it. I was going, yeah, that'll do. Um, but like, how did you get to the point where that was where you wanted the pricing to be set? You know, there's some pretty simple formulas that, you know, you can use to make sure that your business is going to work. You know, and, and you need to charge a certain amount Four to get a certain years. amount out. <laughs> you know, and, and those formulas are pretty straightforward. But then there's, the other sort of parts of that triangle of delivering customer expectations. And, and if you have quality, then that has a value to it. And, but that's speculative. That's one of those assumptions that I make that's normally wrong. So if somebody comes to, um, I don't mean this disrespectfully, I think you'll know this, this happens all the time. Somebody comes to craft it and they have coffee and it's just as you would have wanted. Like, so it's above that, that level of, of service and quality that you're looking for. And they, they have it and they call you over and they say, this is awful. I hate this. Like, what, what do you do? How do you deal with that? If they say, I'm never coming back again, this is terrible. Well, I, I think that probably comes back to that point of listening to the customer. Like, do they actually hate it? Or do they hate me? <laughs> or do they, like, do they hate the experience? You know, because people say one thing, but what they're actually trying to say is something else. You know? and, and that's you know, what I think it's about. So it's about, you know, what didn't you like? And you're not going to please everybody. You know, not everybody likes change. Not everybody likes innovation. You can use like a good basic 